One Hope Church. Let's go to the, to the Lord in prayer before we look into the Scripture this morning. Lord, we thank You so much for this morning that we have to look into Your Word. We thank You so much for Your incredible love for us, Lord. We thank You that... Um, and we've studied through this book of Acts, and it's not just a history lesson, Lord. You were alive and active in Your early church, and You are alive and active now. Thank You that Your Holy Spirit is still active. It was active on Pentecost, and it's still in, in each heart that's in here that believes in Christ. And we thank you that we're still part of your history. Uh, we're still part of your story, Lord. And may our lives be your story and not our own. We pray that you would be with us as we look through these verses. Have your way in our hearts. Have your way in our minds this morning. Um, and it's all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today we are concluding uh, our study on a journey that we started back in August, on August the 14th of 2016. So we've been a good while here studying through the book of Acts, which has been really encouraging. We began our, chapter, our study back in chapter 1, as we heard from our risen Savior, who was reaffirming His promise that the Holy Spirit would come. We read in chapter 2 about the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the birth of the New Testament church. We read about people from all over the known world hearing the good news of Christ in their native languages um, through speaking in tongues, um, and also with Peter's testimony, 3,000 people uh, coming to know Christ, and they carried the good news back with them all over the known world at that time. Uh, we heard uh, about the church in Jerusalem. We studied about those first deacons. Uh, we heard uh, the testimony of Stephen before the Sanhedrin, before uh, he was martyred. And he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. And we remember his last words, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. We read about how the believers had to flee from Jerusalem because of the severe per persecution. Uh, we recounted the Lord's revelation to Peter, Peter, rise, kill and eat. Uh, meaning that the Gentiles were to be accepted into the fold of Christ in this New Testament church. Uh, we uh, were encouraged by the faith of Cornelius and his family. We marveled at Paul's miraculous conversion as he was called by God to be the apostle to the Gentiles. This Roman citizen, Jewish, Gamaliel-educated, pharisaical, Jesus-hating terrorist was taken from darkness and into light. Um, perfect man for the job, was radically changed by the grace of God. We've read about his first and second and third missionary journeys, um, and all, most of this written from first-hand accounts from the author Luke. Uh, we've seen uh, the ripple effects of the good news going out from Jerusalem, and today we're going to conclude our study. If we remember all the way back to the beginning of the chapter, of the beginning of the book in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says before His ascension, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit uh, has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses uh, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, to the ends of the earth. So the believers waited there in Jerusalem for that promise of, that God sent. And Jesus like dropped the Holy Spirit like a rock, and the ripple effect started going out from Jerusalem, and then we see it uh, continuing even into this to this day. So we we've 
all of this is about God's great rescue plan. I mean, this is what the whole book is about. Um, human beings, we have no way that we can get to God. There's, there's a chasm. There's, there's something that we can't get across. We can't be good enough for God, but God made a way for us. And this is stories about people's lives, but this is all part of uh, the bigger story of God's great rescue plan for mankind, the good news of Jesus Christ. So we left off last week with Paul shipwrecked with his companions on the island of Malta. And today we're going to start with chapter 28 and verse 11. So if you would turn with me there, Acts chapter 28, let's read verse 11. After three months we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers uh, which had wintered on the island. Wintered on the island, and I'm reading from the New King James uh, today, so if yours is a little bit different, that's probably why. So they were on Malta there for about three months. Uh, wintered on the island. It was too risky for ships to sail during the winter months, and it was probably now February or March when they set sail from Malta and head to the mainland of Italy. This is a Greek ship. It says it's not a Roman ship. It's possibly another grain ship that wintered on Malta before heading to Rome. There were many grain ships heading from Egypt to Rome in those days. And the first ship uh, that was taken by Paul that he headed out on was most likely a grain ship. We see that in verse 27.6 and also in verse 38. They bail a bunch of grain. Um, so it could have been that type of trading ship that he hopped on. And it has, we have two Greek gods here, Castor and Pollux, uh, who were, according to Greek mythology, the twin sons of Zeus and Leda. They supposedly brought good fortune to sailors when they traveled on the high seas. So why are we even mentioning the names here? What's the point of that? It could just be you know, Luke recounting the story. This happened. He could have said it was a big ship. It was a small ship. He could have said well, the gods were on it. But it's likely, too, that he might be contrasting you know, the, the religion or the superstition of those people that live on Malta or those people from Rome, people from, Egypt, or from Greece, with those who have faith in Christ, a real living Savior who actually save people from a shipwrecked ship. Somebody that can actually make a difference besides just um, pieces of wood carved out on the front of a boat. And that takes us to verse 12. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. So they get on this Alexandrian ship. They go from Malta to Syracuse. Um, Paul plots the course for us pretty well here. We'll see in these next few verses. And he should know, too, because he's using the pronoun we. So Luke is with uh, Paul here. The writer is with Paul as he's uh, on, on this trip. Um, they traveled from Malta to Syracuse. That's an island on Sicily. They stayed there from three days, verse 13. From there, we circled around and reached Regium. And after one day, uh, the south wind blew, and on the next day, we came to Petuli. Now, Regium is on the like toe of Italy, and Petuli is farther north. It's about 152 miles south of Rome itself. Verse 14. Where we found brethren and, uh, and invited uh, us to stay with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. So they find some believers here in this place of Patchouli. Um, and they found feather, fellow believers. This must have been really, really cool for Paul, because where do these believers come from? We're south of Rome. At this point, Paul hasn't been to Rome on any of these missionary journeys. As far as we know, um, there's, there have been no... Um, uh, none of the other apostles have been to Rome. How do we know? How does you know? Where are these believers from? What happened? It's pretty encouraging because most likely, um, after uh, you know, after uh, the good news was preached at Pentecost, believers took the gospel back to Rome. Before Paul gets here to Rome, he's already book, written the uh, book of Romans, so he's already read, written a letter to the Roman church. Um, 
all he knows from Rome would be secondhand information. He hasn't been there. He hasn't met any of the believers there face to face. Maybe he's met some travelers, so he knows there's believers in in Rome. But he wrote this book that's kind of a, some of the book was kind of hard to take. Uh, but he sees here, even south of Rome, 152 miles, there's a believers in a church that come to see him. So that must have been really exciting for him. That means that the church in Rome, this young church, probably has already had people going out and telling the good news, and the good news is spreading already uh, on the. Um, on the mainland of Italy. So this is must be really exciting for him. So he takes the opportunity to stay there for seven days, probably to encourage the believers, take the opportunity for uh, discipleship as well. So this is another ripple effect that we see, you know, the gospel going out to Rome and now even south through all of Italy. All right, so we know the Roman church here is already on mission. And it's also interesting, too, because this Roman church is a, obviously a young church, but right, they're going to in the near future face terrible persecution under Nero and other Roman leaders, but they're already being active for the gospel. And in the verse 15, going from there at Patchouli, the when the brethren heard about us, they came after he had uh, already landed um, there in Rome. From there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as a pie forum and three ends. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now, so finally, after all of this, Paul finally arrives in Rome and he finds brothers have come from all around to see him. So the forum of Appius or the Apai forum was a market that was about 43 miles from Rome. And when you don't have a car, that's a pretty good good trip, right? So believers had come from there. The three taverns or three inns was about 33 miles from Rome. So believers had come from there because they had heard that Paul was on the way. Um, uh, Luke writes that Paul, at the side of these believers, he thanked God. Obviously, man, this is great. Um, um, so many believers all around, the gospel is going out, and he took courage. And it wasn't that he took courage, I don't think, because I've got this big trial coming up. Am I going to get off or not? Uh, he knew uh, about the... You know, he'd already read, read, written the, the um, book of Rome, this letter to the Romans, to address some of the issues that they were having. He doesn't know exactly how they took it. You know, not everybody that uh, gets correction takes that correction correctly. But uh, obviously, they had been faithful um, and had grown in their faith and had been spreading their faith. And so he is taking courage because the gospel is going out and people are responding to it. Um, in, in Paul's letter to the Romans, he wrote, My desire is to be with you. And the first time he gets to go be with any of the Romans, he's there in chains. And if we remember, the Jews had all been kicked out from Rome uh, years earlier, because we remember uh, it's probably under Claudius around 52 AD. If we remember back to the story about Priscilla and Aquila, they met Paul and worked with him in Corinth and learned a lot from Paul. They go on to teach Apollos. Um, but they had to leave. They were from Rome. They actually had to leave Rome because they were booted out with everybody else that was Jewish. But now the Jews have been let back into Rome, um, and there's believers there too. Paul was encouraged to see the believers in Rome living out their faith. Again, life has probably not been easy for them at this point. Also, you know, Paul did have harsh words in his letter to the Romans, but he's encouraged that they have remained faithful. And that takes us here. Verse 16. Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with a soldier to guard him. Um, so that's... That's pretty neat. We see that it's actually, we'll see, find out later that it's his own rented house. 
Um, so Paul's a lightweight. They're not worried about him running, and apparently they're not worried about a bunch of people coming and busting him out. Um, so he's the one that appealed to Caesar. He wants to be there. He's not somebody that's on the run, um, but he obviously wasn't considered to be much of a flight risk. Um, and also, it must, it must have been interesting because there's probably some chatter too about this guy that came up from Rome that appealed to Caesar. The charges that were against him must have sounded really weird to all the Roman guards. So I'm sure that they were talking about this too. Why is this guy even here? He broke some religious law. Well, I mean, what has he done that's wrong? Um, so it must have been uh, some interesting talk about it at that time and only one person to guard him. Um, and let's read here real quick from Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Now, Paul wrote the book of Philippians while he was in chains. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So Paul's here in jail, but when he writes to the Philippians later, he's going to tell them, hey, this is a good thing. Good things are happening. People are encouraged to uh, spread the gospel. And all these guards that keep coming through, I keep telling about Jesus. <laughs> and so now the gospel is known through the whole palace guard or the Praetorian Guard, which was like the elite regiment in the Roman army. They acted almost like the secret service for Caesar. So if somebody was was in the Praetorian Guard. That was a high status as far as the military went. And Paul's sitting here telling them all the good news about Jesus. Um, you know, when, I, when I think about that and his situation, it reminds me a little bit of Joseph in the Old Testament. I mean, Joseph was lied, you know, he was sold into slavery, betrayed by his brothers. That's not fair. That wasn't just. Uh, he was unjustly thrown into jail after unjustly being sold into slavery. Yet he was faithful in all of these circumstances, and he was used by God to predict a terrible famine that saved multiple—I mean, countless people's lives. And he was also instrumental in God's great rescue plan as the Israel goes into Egypt and God brings them out of Egypt. Um, it's so whatever situation we find ourselves in, you know, it's not always going to be fair. You might be it might be something at work, it might be something in life, it might be some a card or a hand that you were dealt that might not be fair if we're trying to count fair. But the Lord can use us even in those situations if we are faithful. Paul's here in jail. He could have been sitting there moping around and you know doing nothing. This isn't fair. I had to appeal to Caesar because you know these people were treating me wrong back in Jerusalem. But instead, he takes the opportunity to spread the good news. You know, Paul didn't choose to be the apostle to the Gentiles. It's not like he woke up one morning and was like, I'm going to accept Christ. You know what? I'm going to think I'm going to make things better. I mean, God really had to call him, had to smack him across the face, almost quite literally. You know, Priscilla and Aquila, they had a call. They were used by God. Lydia had a call. She was faithful and was used by God. You know, are we being faithful with our call, with what God has given us? We don't always get to pick what position we are in. But we can always be faithful no matter what position we've been given. And uh, Everybody knows I come from a household that has more than one nerd in it, and we all love the Lord of the Rings. Uh, one of my favorite lines from Lord of the Rings is uh, you know, back and forth between Gandalf and Frodo. When Frodo says, I wish... Uh, this had never happened to me, talking about receiving the ring of power. And, Frodo, and Gandalf says, uh, Frodo says that, and Gandalf says, So do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given us. Now, that's nice, and that's fiction, and that was about a, a ring of power. But, you know, we all have something uh, maybe a little less tangible than a ring, but we all have the good news. And the weight of that is heavy. 
the truth of that is heavy. You know, in the story, in the story about you know Frodo and Gandalf and, and the Lord of the Rings, it was, a bit, it was this big deal. He's happy. He's living life, and everything's happy and you know happy go lucky. And then he realizes, oh, the end of the world and all and you know fate of a bunch of people is kind of dependent on what I have in my hand. That's pretty heavy. You know, it's very different the situation with the gospel, but to the sense we have that, we have the truth in us, and that is a heavy thing. You know, a lot of people that we pass on a daily basis, whether or not they're going to accept that truth, that decides their eternity. That's a big, weighty thing. And, you know, we don't get to, we didn't get to decide that. You know, God, that's God's rescue plan. We get to decide if we're going to be in, take active part and make a difference or not. But let's do that. Uh, and we see here Paul in chains, things, you know, dealt some rough cards, but he is faithful even in this situation. Verse 17, And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, they said to them, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to get to death. Um, you know, Paul calls kind of uh, calls the leaders of the Jews here in Rome. Um, in this case, they're kind of his prospective prosecutors, um, and they agree to see him, which is kind of an interesting situation. I'm rolling into Rome. I'm going to go to trial. Let's get the, these people that are uh, have the beef with me together, and we'll talk to him. Um, and remember, Jesus did give Paul the, uh, the ministry of being the apostle to the Gentile, but he still called these, these Jews brothers. He's still identifying that I'm one of you. And he tells them, I'm not guilty of blasphemy. I'm, uh, I'm not, not done anything against our history and customs. And he affirms their shared faith and identifies with the Israelites. And Paul continues in verse 19. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. So he's not bringing charges against his own people. And he's, you know, I'm still one of you, he's saying. Verse 20, For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because it is for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. So, you know, Paul makes four main points here. The first one is, I'm in, you know, I'm innocent of damaging the Jews or their customs. I'm not saying anything, you know, that the Jews or their customs are wrong. At number two, he's saying the Roman authorities in Jerusalem thought out he was innocent. He's like, I shouldn't be here anyways because they, they already thought I was innocent. His third point is his only recourse was to appeal to Caesar because the Jews in Jerusalem failed to deal with him justly. So it was kind of, they kind of forced his hand. Then he makes a major point that he is not pressing charges against Israel. He only wants to be acquitted. And then finally, he really talks about his objective for calling this particular group He's calling them to tell them the gospel. It says, It is for this reason, therefore, that I have called you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. So he's, with, you know, he's saying, I've, I want to see you pretty much to tell you the gospel. That's not, he's not saying it that way. But Paul uses the concept of the hope of Israel multiple times in Acts. And Paul is making the case to them that Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises to Israel, which he is. Um, we see Old Testament promises of, that the Messiah would bring the good news to the world, to all nations. We see that in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and 52, 7, 42, 6 and 7, 49, 6, and a bunch of different places. But there's also all these verses in the Old Testament talking about how the Messiah will reign on the throne of David. 
uh, such as it speaks about in 2 Samuel 7 and multiple other verses. So they understand that they might can get maybe him being some good news that will go to everybody, whether or not, and they actually don't like that either. <laughs> as we see, they have a lot of problems with Gentiles being accepted into uh, as, as, as God's chosen people without becoming Jews completely. But then also they have problems with Jesus who came to the earth but did not is not reigning on David's throne. So they have trouble with both of these things. So they see the verses about Christ's first coming and verses about Christ's second coming and have a hard time um, accepting that this is the Christ. The thing is, he will come back. He will reign on David's throne forever. At the time that, G- that, that Paul is making this case to them and arguing with them, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, even at, this, at the point that uh, Paul is talking to these leaders. Verse 21, they, uh, Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. So these Jews, these leaders, have not learned of the charges against Paul. That's kind of odd, right? So we're going to send this guy, this guy appeals to Caesar, and the Jews in Jerusalem are trying through the court system to have him executed or at least found guilty. He appeals to Caesar, so he goes off to Caesar, and they don't send a prosecutor or they don't send letters to their own folks telling them why he's in trouble. That's kind of odd. Well, it, it makes perfect sense because all of their charges were completely bogus. <laughs> you know, number one, they had the high priest. Well, the high priest was ordered to strike Paul, if we remember, which is against the law. They planned to have a group murder him. They all took a fast to murder Paul. That's against the law. That's against Roman law and Old Testament law. They also brought false testimony against Paul. Remember, saying that he had brought Gentiles into the temple which he did not. They could not provide a credible witness to that, that you know, false testimony is against the law. So they can't put any of this in writing and then send it on up to Rome because uh, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem are probably more afraid at this point that they might have some trouble for them if Paul is free and cleared. But Paul already makes, makes it clear that I'm not bringing any charges against my brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem. I'm not even doing that. I just want to be acquitted. Uh, where he may have had some legal right to try to get uh, some, you know, try to get them in trouble. Verse twenty-two: The Roman uh, leaders here of the Jews continue, but we desire to hear from you what you think. Uh, for concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So. This, this group of leaders kind of make a wrong interpretation. They call Christianity a sect, which most sects have, or it's like a parallel group with different rules. They might affirm something. They have some underlying things that they think are very different. We hear Pharisees and Sadducees might be called sects. Um, and the Pharisees, if you remember, believed in angels, believed in an afterlife. The Sadducees didn't. We see that they clash heads a lot in the Old Testament because there's a power struggle between them because they have some underlying... Even now, they both would have been very much Jews first and Sadducees or Pharisees would have been very secondary so they can still shake hands and say we're on the same team. But they had some very underlying different things that they believed. They didn't believe all of the same books in the Old Testament were inspired uh, uh, and should actually be followed. So they actually, they bumped heads a lot. But um, identifying believers in 
Christ, followers of the way as a sect, is totally wrong because they don't, they don't discount any of the things that the Jewish leadership at this time would have believed. They would have affirmed what they believed. They don't reject them. You know, they would affirm the Abrahamic covenant. They would affirm Moses, Old Testament history. They would affirm David and the Psalms, and they would affirm the prophets. They wouldn't say, uh, you know, David was right, but the prophets were wrong. You know, he w- they wouldn't have done anything like that. They affirmed all these things that the Jewish believers believed and put their hope in. There's one key difference, the hope of Israel. They, they believe that Jesus is the hope of Israel, that he is not a version of Judaism. Jesus is not like, oh, it's a little different version and a different sect. No, he's the fulfillment of what all of this was leading up to. They're continuing, we're continuing the story. Uh, Christ finishes that. Uh, and that's what Paul's going to try to con- try to convince these Jews of. Well, we're not we're not a sect. We're not something different. We uh, we affirm everything you believe, except Jesus Christ is the fulfillment what the law and the prophets were pointing to. And this kind of leads up to the climax, the last climax here, the book of Ma- of Acts. You know, are these Jewish leaders going to believe, or are they not going to believe? We see fairly consistently, maybe a few believe, but by and large, the Jewish leadership that we see in other places do not believe. So verse uh, 23, So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, uh, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. So they set a separate date, came back with a whole bunch of people, and were like, all right, Paul, Here's your opportunity. You tell us. And from morning till evening, he's going through everything that they believe. I mean, everything they put their, their hope in as far as everything that's written about in the Old Testament. He goes through everything and how it points to Christ. He could, you know, he could look at the forefathers and, of, of the faith and things that they went to, through and how those things pointed to Christ. He looked at the writings of David, how they pointed to Christ. Law and Prophets, how they pointed to Christ. And... Um, And verse 24, And some were persuaded by these things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So some were convinced, but some just weren't convinced. How could you not be convinced with all of that, you know? Well, there's probably a couple of reasons. Um, Jesus didn't fit in their box of what they thought the Messiah should be. And he did not throw off the rule of Rome and reign on the throne of Israel. Uh, and, you know, when somebody's under oppression or a group of people are under oppression, telling them that they're going to still probably be in oppression is not very, you know, that, that doesn't go over very well. They wanted, they wanted this ruling re- leader to come now. They weren't willing to wait um, for the right time. Um, they know all the verses about the old, in the Old Testament, like we, spoke of, uh, like we spoke about, that look forward to Christ reigning on the throne of Israel. So, you know, there's still a lot of people today that put Jesus in the box and Jesus doesn't want to, you know, doesn't quite fit. You know, I want to do whatever I want to do and nothing bad should happen to me, but something bad has happened to me. So this Jesus thing can't be real. You know, we can't invent our version of God. Uh, We make a lot of times when people try to do that, we have a God that's too graceful or a God that is too judgmental. And I can tell you, I work with a whole lot of people that, that go to church all the time. And they, they definitely have their own very own version of God that doesn't follow things in Scripture whatsoever. We don't have, the, we don't, you know, we can, making up your own God does no good. It is our job to conform to God. It's not His job to conform to us. But He still came down to, even though it's not His job to conform to us, 
He still came down to our level through Christ to show us what it is to live um, and, to, and, to, um, and to be what He wants us to be. So that's the first reason. He didn't fit their box, so that's why some of them didn't believe. You know, the other real big reason we see throughout the New Testament is that uh, Jesus let the Gentiles into the fold. And that just blew people of Jewish heritage's mind. Even people that were Jewish that came to Christ early still were like, wait, wait, what? So, you just, so Gentile can just become a believing. Like to us, that's like so obvious. Well, yeah, anybody can put their faith in Christ. But with their long history, that that the Jews were the chosen people. You know, we talk now. You hear arguments about uh, you know Calvinism or how who, how is one elected? Back then, that wasn't the conversation. Back then, it was who's the elect? Well, obviously, God's chosen people is Israel. End of story. Can anybody else be saved? Well, if somebody becomes a Jew, all the men in the family get circumcised. They act as a Jew. Maybe they can cling on and like ride that Jewish coattail to salvation. But it was very much the you, God's chosen people is the Jews. And now we have these people coming to Christ and somebody that's Greek that doesn't know any of you know Aramaic or any Jewish language, doesn't know Jewish history. He can just say like he can just believe in God and he's now elect he's now part of God's chosen people how does that work how, how's that even I mean that just they didn't even that, that for their for their construct and their history and with the things they thought that was just too far you know that's that's going too far that can't be and that's why they had so much trouble too with people that were saying well yes you can believe in Jesus and be saved but you've also got to be a Jew you got to be whole the whole thing in or else you can't be saved that doesn't work that you got to be God's chosen people or to be to you know, be part of the elect. That's how it's got to happen. Um, so Jesus fulfills all the requirements of the law for us, which is awesome for us, but they had a really hard time wrapping their minds around that. The attitude of the Jews reminds me a bit of the parable of, of the workers in the vineyard from Matthew chapter 20. Do you remember that? That's always a weird one for me because it's like I, I kind of identify because all these people, these folks go to work for this, uh, for this man working in a vineyard. Some of them work an entire day and then some people come in in the last hour, so they work an hour. And after these other guys have been sweating through the sun all day long through the heat of the day, and some people come in the last hour as the sun's going down, and they go, for, they all come for their pay, and they all get the same amount of pay. They got, and the people that got, the people that worked all day was like, what, 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 what? That dude worked an hour, and it was already cool, and we already picked all the heavy ones. You know, what, how are you, how's he getting the same one that I'm getting? That's not, that's not fair. But with God, He shows grace to to everybody, and nobody deserves it. And I think the Israelites kind of had that type of thought. You know, our people have been struggling and been mowed over, and we've been trying, and we've been stumbling, and we haven't been doing a good job. But we are God's chosen people, and this person is just going to walk right in here and be part of God's part of God's chosen people like that. That's not fair. And they're grumbling and complaining too. But to be fair to that mindset, if I was at work <laughs> and that happened to my place in employment, I would be the first one to be like, wait, that ain't right. That dude worked an hour. That means he got like $300 an hour. <laughs> I, worked two, I mean, I worked 12 hours today. How's that fair? You know? um, uh, but Jesus is graceful on, on so many, you know, so many. Um, let's keep on going. Verse 25. So, when they did not agree among themselves, they departed. And after Paul had uh, said to them, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet, our fathers. Um, Paul's about to more or less drop the mic here on him from 6, 9, and 10. 
uh, Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, he quotes saying in verse 26, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will... Uh, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Verse 28, Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. So he is saying, I'm going to the Gentiles, because he was called again to be the apostle to Gentiles, and they will listen. And that's harsh, and this is really sad that overwhelmingly they do not believe. Um, but if we're reminded of Jesus, even Jesus' words, John chapter 10, verse 16, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Matthew twenty one forty three. Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing its fruit. So these are sad. I mean, this is really, you know, this is exciting that Paul is spreading the good news. But this is really sad. You know, it's really sad. These people that have, um, that have the Old Testament, that have the law and the prophets, you know, out, out of anybody, they should turn and listen. Um, but at this point, they do not. You know, and we Gentiles, we're all Gentiles. And there might be somebody here who's Jewish, if so I apologize. But for, for us, we, we don't have the same trappings of these people in this time. It's very different than things that we have to deal with now. It's not like not a whole lot of times like I witness to somebody and be like, man, but he's just believing Jew. I just don't know. You know, it seems like that's actually a good place to witness from because they believe the law and the prophets. And if you show them the verses that say that Christ is the Savior and he's coming back and he'll, he will fulfill this, he has fulfilled this, you know, and you're starting from that same point, it might be difficult, but you have, you know, you have something there to work with. A lot of people now don't believe that in the gospel's inspired. And then a lot of people in our culture have a lot of things we have too many idols, like the Greeks did back then. They, we, now, we may not, not have like Greek or Roman gods on every corner or have household gods, but everybody's always working for the next thing. What's the next thing? Maybe I'm going to get myself a bigger car, and that'll bring me some joy. What's, you know, everybody seems to be running to that next thing. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's a vacation. Can't wait for that. Just came off one. It was nice, but you know, it only fulfills so much. Maybe the right spouse, I'll land that. Man, things are going to work. Then, then that's when things get right. Or, or my kids, the perfect family, are losing weight. I'm going to get in shape. And, you know, all these things are fine, but it seems like in our, in our culture, you get one, you work real hard to the next one, you work real hard to the next one, you work real hard to the next one, and then your life is over. And a lot of times we don't have, I think, in our, our, our culture, the problem of persecution necessarily or the problem of pain. We definitely have the pro- problem of pleasure. And it is a problem because it's numbing. A lot of times when there's a lot of things that you can get and they feel good and they will temporarily satisfy you, it takes you away from, the, you know, from what your soul really needs. And that's something that I think we have to struggle with more when we're giving the, the gospel in our context. Verse 29. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. In verse 30, when Paul dwelt two whole years in, uh, in his own rented house and received all who came to him. So he's sitting here in a, in a condo that he's renting himself for two whole years. 
Um, he appealed to Caesar, but Caesar's not in a real hurry to see him. I think Caesar might have one or two things on the schedule. Um, so he's got he's got his own hotel or his own condo that he's renting himself. He's got one guard. He's got people seeing him all the time. He's witnessing to the guards that are coming, and he also um, gets to write uh, to uh, churches and believers all over the place. He writes First and Second Timothy. He writes Philemon. We talked about. We just studied through Titus. He writes Titus here while he's locked up in this house too. Verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So Paul had, so as he had written to, to Timothy, you know, all these, or, uh, all these things really did serve to advance the gospel. Uh, and, and again, Paul is faithful, faithful here even when he is in chains. Um, and I just want to go back to, the, to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We've got the key here that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses uh, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, you know, the church is still expanding. The story's not over. You know, we had that, like I said, that rock dropped there of the Holy Spirit coming on Pentecost and it ripples out from Jer- Jerusalem. It ripples out to J- uh, Judea and Samaria it's rippling now, even in Athens. Ripple, Mexico, you know, you know, Ripple, Tanzania. It's still going out. It's going out in the, our places of work and all the and everybody that we have to deal with. So, we need to be witnesses for Christ. Uh, we need to walk close to Jesus, and because uh, Jesus is always faithful, and we need to be faithful. Just want to tell one story, which might not make a whole lot of sense while I'm telling it, but um, I saw a, I can't remember where I saw it, a YouTube video. A while back, and there's a fellow named Brennan Manning. He wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. He died, actually, I think, uh, fairly recently, within the last couple of years. Um, but I, I, what I heard was just a story that he was telling. And he, um, I can't remember all the specific details, but one time a, a lady came to his door, or, and I think a lady called him and said that, uh, I think it was somebody that went to, I don't know if it was the same church or a different church, but called him. And said, hey, my father's dying. He has cancer. He doesn't have long to live. And I just want somebody to come and pray with him. Would you be willing to pray with him? I talked to my pastor, and he keeps saying he's going to come, but he's got a bunch of stuff to do, and he hasn't been able to make it. Will he make it? And he said, sure, I'll be there in 10 minutes. So he goes to the house where this guy where this guy is. The guy's sitting in bed. He doesn't look good. He's got an empty seat beside him. And Brendan goes in there and prays with him. And he, he asks him about this empty seat that's at an odd situation. And he doesn't say anything until his daughter walks out of the room. And he said, can I tell you something? He's like, he said, sure, sure. And he said, well, uh, my, my pastor was always bad at giving sermons on prayers. Never any good at it. He said, one day I got up the nerve to say, hey, pastor, tell me something about, t- you know, give me s- you talk about prayer, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Tell me something about prayer. So he gives him a book to read, and it was by some German theologian that's hard to pronounce. And he read through some of it, and he was like, ah, it doesn't make any sense to me. And then um, he said that years uh, after that, a friend of his that was a believer, they were talking together. And he said, yeah, you just, it's easy. So when you pray, and you just pretend that God's right, Jesus is right there in front of you. Pull out a chair or something, pretend he's right there, and just and talk to him. You know, read through Scripture and talk to him like he's right there. And he was like, okay, I'll do it. He's like, and so since then, I do that every morning. But my, I'm afraid of my daughter seeing me do that because she might think I'm nuts. So he's got this little chair right by his... by his, by, And he's like, and now I can't get out of this bed. So all I do to him is talk to him all day long until my daughter pokes in. He's like, what would you say? Nothing. You know, no, nothing. And so he's just, you know, this plain, simple man that that does that loves Jesus, is reading the scripture and, talk, and talking to Jesus and spending time with him. And so Brennan, Brennan takes some time to pray with him. He's obviously not doing well. 
Um, he gets a call a few days later from the, the lady say, telling him thank you. He's like, my, yeah, my dad passed away very calmly. I, he actually, I think she had gone out. I don't know if it was for food or something. Said that uh, that he had he had passed away. She said, you know the weirdest thing. He's always got this chair beside his bed, and when I walked in there, he was he was dead, but he wasn't in the, he wasn't on his bed. He had his head laying on the chair. You know, I'm like man, now that's uh, that's somebody um, that knows what it is to walk with Jesus, and that's just a very simple person that doesn't you know not super educated, might have a hard time with the theology book. I say all that to say, you know, we've read through this whole book of Acts, and we can approach it like theologians or, or philosophers and know a whole lot of stuff about it. And somebody say something about Acts, and you can throw out all the names and know all the stuff. But, you know, the, all of this happened in Acts because people were walking with Jesus. They had the Holy Spirit in their hearts. They were communing with Jesus, and they were listening and obeying. When it was time to have a hard conversation with somebody they had Jesus beside them, and they weren't afraid. They just went right into it because they because they walk close to Jesus, and they know Jesus is always faithful. And for us, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it might be hard. And one really cool thing about Acts is you can look at these stories. You can look at the, Paul's life. You can look at even just the believers that we don't know their names that went down from Rome and went down to Petulia and these other places and were spreading the gospel. People whose names have never been written in a book, but they still walk with Jesus. They made a difference, and people are in the kingdom. You know, they have. They didn't. You know, they weren't carrying the the, the ring of power, but they carried something even far greater with them when they went. And you know, their names might not be in here. Our my, our names might not be written in any book, but maybe we can take two or three people with us when we see Jesus. You know, and when we when we walk through those gates, we're going to get to see Paul. We're going to get to see, meet all these different people. And you know, we're, it's not that somebody's going to be a whole lot greater than the others. The the least shall be the greatest, and the greatest shall be the least. You know, and some of the people that we meet that are gonna that are gonna be the greatest are gonna be people that were very simple. They might not they weren't as might not be as smart as Paul. They might not they're obviously not as well educated, might not have all the words, but they were faithful with the cards that they were dealt. And we every even in this room, we're not all dealt the same cards. We have different skills. Some of us are smarter, some of us are prettier, some of us sing better, some of us can't sing, some of us, you know, are are very sharp on our feet. Some people like me can't get three words out once they get nervous, you know, and we're all, we're all different. We all have different things that we struggle with. We have different things that we're good at, but the Lord has given each one of us, you know, what we have, we have from the Lord. The Lord made us how he wanted us, but he wants to walk close with us and he wants to use us. But we have to be part of that. You, you know, we can't just put our hands up and say, Lord, you know, have your way and then keep on going and expect something to happen. We have to walk with him closely. Um, so, I just want to encourage you from all of this from Acts. If you don't, I mean, there's so many good things here to take with us, but the thing that you got to take with you is the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus walking day in and day out. Because if we don't have all those, if we don't have those things, then everything else is just information on a page that does us no good and does the kingdom no good unless we are living it and sharing it. Anyway, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your incredible goodness to us. We thank you for. Um, these months that we've had, going back to August, looking through the book of Acts. And we thank you so much that uh, your great plan to save mankind was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. That Abraham looked forward to him. Moses looked forward to Jesus. David looked forward to Jesus. And Lord, we now have the truth. And we look forward to seeing Jesus face to face one day. Lord, we pray that uh, we would recognize your Holy Spirit. 
that we would desire to walk close with you, that we wouldn't settle for a bland faith, that we wouldn't settle for knowing the truth theoretically, that we wouldn't settle for knowing you theoretically, Lord, but that we would really push in, that we would spend time with you, that we would be moved by you, that you would shake us and love us and walk with us, tell us what to say, tell us where to go. So, Lord, we want to hold up to you our hearts, we want to hold up to you our souls, and we want you to have your way in us. And that's one easy thing to say, but, man, that's that's hard thing to live, and that's something that we can't do in our own strength. So we pray um, for more strength, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, that we know that you readily provide. Um, help us to be willing. Where we are weak, pray that you would give us strength. Pray that we would always look to you, that we would walk in your strength. And we thank you that there's power in the gospel. We thank you that the good news of Christ, though it's been around for 2,000 years, that it is still powerful. We still see lives changed. Now, Lord, forgive us for the times when we're ashamed. Forgive us for the times when we're scared. Forgive us most of all, Lord, for the times when we walk out on our own. I think that's kind of where the root of most of the trouble lies is when we walk on our own, Lord. Help us to walk close to you, to commune with you, and have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. 